Oh, good morning, my friends. New Life East. Go stand to your feet if you, uh, if you have already sat down. And we are going to start our morning with the Nicene Creed. Would you turn your attention to the screen? Would you say this with me? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Oh, it's so good to see you this morning. It's, it's my turn. And if you, uh, if you notice, I did. I grew a little something. Andrew thinks it's so that we uh, could be interchangeable pastors, as he says. Uh, I think we have a long way to go. That's what I told him. I, I can't run 22 miles in 30 minutes like he can or, or bench 462 pounds. But... Um, <laughs> And Jenna, she's my wife, she said, are you growing your beard so that they'll take you seriously? (laughs) I feel like it's a trick question. (laughs) Uh, But I hope you appreciate it. It's just, uh, I just didn't shave last night. Good jeans. (laughs) You know, just a, can I, just a quick, this is, I'll try to make it a quick story, but this is just a confession Pastoral confessions. That's a bad way to start a message, but, you, but you'll need this one. <laughs> um, we started the book of Galatians, you know, about six weeks ago. And when a, a chapter in the Bible is determined, you know, it's divvied out, like who's going to preach which section. And um, Pastor Andrew, who's our senior pastor, if you haven't figured that out yet, I'm just the executive pastor. So come back next weekend. That's how we get people to come back. Um, <laughs> He, we're, we're divvying out the chapters, and he gave me chapter 5. And so being a good student that I am, I'm looking ahead, and I'm really looking into it. And I'm reading, I'm pulling out themes. First of all, it starts with circumcision, so I'm like, i got to figure that out. And then it gets into unity and how that affects the church. And, like, and I was already feeling like I'm pulling teeth, and this is like five or six weeks away, but I'm putting in my research. But I was like, I think I know where this is headed and feeling really good about the direction, I got it. Okay, got this one locked down ahead of time. I can think about some other things. And then we launched the book of Galatians, and Pastor Andrew 
he's, he opens a series and he's talking on the first chapter and, he has, he's, and as he's talking, he's talking about circumcision, unity. And I'm sitting, as I do here in the front row, and I'm like, well, that's what I was going to talk about. <laughs> and I'm like, and now I'm a little bit like, and now I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Because I already had that one locked down. And so I'm, as he's talking, it's like, I was going to make that point. I was going to make that point. And I start getting heated as I'm sitting there. He's talking about unity. And I'm like, but that's what I was going to talk about. And so you know what you do? I don't know if you're like this, but what I do when I get a little bit upset, I got to text somebody. I got to text my wife. I text her when I'm a little bit heated about something. I get my phone out and I just, I'm hearing him talking about unity. And I'm like, this is what I said. U-G-H, ugh. That's like universal text language for like, I'm mad. So like, mm. I was like, I'm, I'm getting really frustrated. I was like, Andrew's stole my message. And he is the lead pastor, but I didn't include that in my text. I was like, I was like he stole my message. And I was like, I think that's all I have to say. Send. And as I'm sending the text message, I look down at my phone to whom I have sent the text message to. <laughs> And the last person I sent a text message to was Pastor Andrew. <laughs> Has your life ever flashed before your eyes? Have you ever wanted to crawl into your phone and like swim after the text message? I'm coming for you! <laughs> and I look over and his phone is sitting on the chair. And in my mind, I'm like, I think I can make it across hack into his phone, maybe during the greeting time. Literally, that's what I thought. And I just was, I was like, there's no way out of this one. And I owned up to it. I wrote, I was like, Andrew, I was going to show you the transcription, but I was like, I clearly am struggling. <laughs> and then for the rest of the service, I had to just be like, oh, whatever my fate is, I trust it to you, God. <laughs> And then he, and after service, he finds, he finds me with, and he's, he's like laughing hysterically. He's like, first off, you're hilarious. So, okay. And then he's like, but also, he's like, all of Galatians is about unity. A little slow on the uptake, Colin, but that's used to it. And I didn't really have to rewrite my message uh, because it was, turns out there's a lot to talk about with unity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So yes, very gracious. This is my third strike, but I'm going to connect circumcision to the fruits of the spirit. So if you'd like to serve in children's ministry, there is still time. We're in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 2. I'm going to read through the whole section. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, open it. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who, could, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the, f- the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you were with us last Sunday... You heard Pastor Andrew's message on circumcision, and he gave us some historical context for it, but more of where the, the covenant of circumcision took place. And that was in an, in, an, in, an, wow, in an interaction with Abraham, Father Abraham of the Old Testament. God chose the line of Abraham. He came to Abraham and said, you are blessed. Through your entire descendants, the whole world's going to be blessed. And as a sign of my covenant with you, every boy eight years old is going to be circumcised. And Abraham, I think, was confused on several levels. Uh, but the first of that was that he and Sarai, his wife, were barren. They were unable to have any children. And if you remember the story, you can go back and watch it of last weekend's message. Abraham laughed. He and Sarah laughed. They said, this is not possible. How can I have children when, when we are barren? And Jesus comes from the line of Abraham and he fulfills this promise. But what happens is first that the line of Abraham is marked in this outward way by the act of circumcision. And the next thousands of years, the Jews have been practicing this as part of the Torah. The Torah is what all Jews must practice in order to be seen as right before the Lord. This is needed for justification. And the things that people do that are against the Torah, the sins that they, uh, that they commit, there is a high priest and has sacrifice and all of this. So we fast forward in history to Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Messiah who comes. He's the spotless Lamb of God. 
And he comes as a fulfillment. He meets every requirement of the law and he comes and he creates a new covenant. And we say this every time, every Sunday when we take communion. In Luke, he says, his cup is a new covenant in my blood. He makes a new covenant. And part of that new covenant is that you no longer have to continue in all of these rituals that were originally part of your justification. Paul now preaches that it is by faith that you are justified. It is by grace that you have been saved. And so the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are hearing these stories of Jesus and how he's a loving God and how he comes and he takes away the sins of the world and they're hearing these stories and the stories are spreading like wildfire and they're saying, this is incredible. How do we become part of this family? And the Jews are saying, oh, well, just, just this one small thing. It only hurts a little. <laughs> so I've been told. And the fascinating thing to me is that a Gentile man would consider this. And, you know, guys, I'm just aware that circumcision has been said so many times in an elementary school gym. And that's just weird to me. But, we're, but, but there's a point in all this. This is the Bible. It's thousands of years old. Cut it some slack. Okay. The pagan rituals that were normal in the time, the worship that happened to, to pagan gods was horrible. Don't worry, this is church. I won't get into detail. But the, uh, the cult of Sibyl, when the high priest would work himself into a frenzy, just resulted in doing all kinds of terrible things to himself. And so this is being normal. The Jewish rituals were seen as a really refreshing alternative to the paganism. <laughs> so they're like, oh, just that? I'm good. But what's still fascinating is that, you know, Paul catches on to this because he knows the landscape of the time. And he's saying, he's saying, guys, guys, well, not only is this not needed for justification, because look, this is what Jesus did and he explains the theology of it. But also, when you require an act like this of circumcision to a Gentile, you run the risk of landing themselves back in the paganism that they're trying to distance themselves from. It was like, so you're communicating the wrong thing to these poor guys. So, so this whole thing, and I do think that we get derailed by circumcision. We're like, oh, can we just skip forward to something better? I think the whole story can be reframed in this way. There's one group of people, the Jews, that they think, they think very highly of their practices. And they have created something, justification out of one of them. They and Paul has said, no, 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 that's not needed. So there's a group of people who, who, who have put a requirement, it's not necessary, on another group of people in order to be in community with them. I think we kind of see that today. And so, my church story can be described and told in this way. My parents, children of the 70s, they went to Colorado College here in town and Already it was a time of really self-expression and identity. And my dad was an art major. And so already he's on like the cutting edge of pushing culture's boundaries. And they became Christians. My mom was a, a Catholic, my dad a non-practicing Christian and, and their family. And um, they came to know Jesus through a Young Life camp, I think it was. And eventually we moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. There was an ad agency that hired my dad because he's... Is exceptionally talented artist, still a watercolor artist to this day. 
And Central Baptist, Pastor Tom Wood was the pastor there and he baptized my parents and I think we were going to church because it was the right thing to do, it was cultural and, and my parents eventually gave up alcohol altogether because well, it was good parenting, it must be. And eventually my family in, in 1990 moved back to Colorado Springs here my dad became the marketing director of Focus on the Family and my dad was at is in his industry at a, at a unique time because it was no longer colored pencils on a board, but it was Photoshop on a computer. And my dad was on the, the front end of helping bring Focus into the digital age, managing the publications and everything that Focus did. And, and so while he, was, while he was at work making Focus on the family, making Christianity, Focus was massive in the 90s. It was making... He was, he was in the industry of professional image management. We got, to, we got to make this look great. And the content was wonderful too, but at home, you know, my parents were so, all their, um, their motives were great. Nobody looks at their children and was like, I'm going to mess up the next generation, you know? Nobody does that. <laughs> so their intentions were so good. And what happened in my family is that my dad took the, you know, how do we make this look great on the outside, which... Which you can do. If somebody misses the family photo, it's no problem. You can just Photoshop them back into it, you know. You can fix the blemishes and everything. But the same thing was happening in our family. Making it look great on the outside. And what on the inside, I mean, the intentions were great. But what ends up happening on the inside as you start elevating these practices is what happens as a child as you're knitting these things together of like, oh, we make it look great on the outside. And some of the, the, the decisions of our family are made as... Uh, what's going to look great? Really appearance-based decisions. And so my dad invented this thing that's called the honor filter. And for our family, it was, the honor filter was used to decide what was going to be allowed into our family. And so there were things like uh, video games. Oh, no. Video games do not make it through the honor filter because that's like the gateway drug of sin. You know, by the time you start playing video games, who knows what else you're doing after that. You guys can chuckle at this. This is Okay. Disney movies did not make it through the honor filter because you know, and I'll leave this up to you to decide, but the authority figure in Disney movies are always seen as to be the buffoons and the whoever, the Cinderella, I know better, you know, or whoever, Lion King, I know better. That was a circle of life, so we definitely were not able to watch the Lion King, but these movies did not, <laughs> I mean, this is no joke, you guys, I can't make this up, did not make it through the honor filter. And so there were many friends who did not make it through the honor filter. And we would find out how, can, hey, can, I had a neighbor named Jay. They were not Christians, but he had great baseball cards and I wanted to trade with him so bad, but he wasn't allowed in our house because he didn't pass through the honor filter. And so this forms in a child, we're right because the honor filter is what's allowed and that's the right way to do it. And then there's a wrong way to do it. And surely that these things are needed, even justification, it's a big word that just means like, surely God must feel the same way. So we do these things in order to be seen right before God. So therefore, those who don't do those are not right before God. Well, this found its way into church practice for us. We attended church all over Colorado Springs, even to Reformed Presbyterian Church in downtown Colorado Springs, where we sing from the Psalter because a band on the stage, oh man, they take your eyes off Jesus and it's all about the music. And then we also don't celebrate holidays because you should be celebrating Christmas and Easter in your heart every Sunday. So uh, we did that for a while. And then we were at Pulpit Rock Church for a while because they did missions right. And then Matt Hurd was the new pastor in town when 
Woodman Valley Chapel and we followed him there as well because he's the only one that can talk about grappling with Monday morning realities and his hip phrases were just, oh, he was so good. And then for a while, church just didn't do it for us at all. We're like, there's no church in Colorado Springs that does it right. We will start our own. And we did. We home churched for two years. And you guys, as a child, it's like, wow, it's really no church in all of Colorado Springs? Does it right? And then it came time for of the age when Jenna and I, my high school sweetheart in the front row, fell in love. Forbidden love. Because nobody had ever crossed this bridge before. Like we talked about courtship versus dating and it was like dating, that's like the slippery slope to divorce. But if, <laughs> how are babies made? We don't know. And then, in, <laughs> and then in, but courtship, that surely is the way to not repeat the mistakes of our forefathers. And so we're, well, no one knows really how to court, but this thing, this expectation is thrust upon us. And we're like, we, we jump through all the hoops of like, oh, you'll only be together in groups, okay? What are we, they're so disoriented with this, doing the right thing because this is how to be right before God. And then we're ready to get married. And one of Jenna's really good friends took her out, especially for this. This was her agenda. You cannot marry Colin. Why? He's not reformed. How do you know I'm not reformed? <laughs> Guys, this is the world, the world that we lived in. And what happens when you elevate your practices, I say it this way, practice, when you elevate your, your, your practices to the level of justification before God, you just, you alienate, you, you alienate people. Practicing discernment and striving for holy living is great. That's a good thing. And there are other chapters of the Bible that talk about how we do that and how we do that well. What's required of, of you, of, of your baptism, as Pastor Andrew says so well. But when we elevate, when we equate our practices with justification, we run a huge risk. And that's simply causing disunity in our midst. We alienate ourselves. Guys, this is the one thing that Jesus wanted for his children to be. It was unified. He says it this way. He says, he says you were running a great race. It's like, who, who, who made you think this? You know, we do the same thing in other worlds. You know, I explain my fundamentalism to you, but progressives do the same thing, you know? Like, they don't talk about social justice issues as much as we do. Like, we can't have anything to do with them. The polarization that happens. They don't talk about race as much as they ought to. Clearly, it's not a value. There's no way God would see them as, as having it right. But you know, and we would read this the verse, you were running a good race. We were the ones running the race, right? <laughs> we don't watch the Disney movies. We're running. We saw the people who did those things, the public school locker room talk, you know, those ones. If we, if we found ourselves in their midst, we would read this chapter. The verse, I'll read it to you. Galatians 5, 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. The one who is throwing you, throwing you into confusion will have to pay the price. Well, first of all, Paul is saying, like, the one who's causing the confusion, God will deal with them. So the, the responsibility is on him. But there's fear on both sides. 
of like, they're going to poison us. That's the slippery slope. If we start listening to them, if we start singing a Bethel song in church, who knows what we're going to be singing after that? (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? But the fascinating thing about this verse is like, Paul is saying this to the Gentiles. You were doing great. You weren't following their customs and their rituals. Why did you let them get in and, and cause you to doubt? Like you were focused on the right thing. I think that just fascinates me. You know, like in, 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 we're, we're so well-intentioned, you know, where we're like, no, but like, oh. The Jews were doing the same thing, like with the whole circumcision thing. They're like, no, we're trying to keep, we're trying to keep unity here by, by expecting cir- circumcision to, to be what lets them in. But when we do that, guys, it's not required to be. There are things that are. So the things that aren't do not require that of your brothers and sisters to be in community with them. I, um, it's 2012, you know, I'm a child that's raised in this way of like, well, surely if it looks good on the outside and it's fine on the inside. I was a, a worship pastor in, um, gosh, where were we living at the time? We were in Boulder, 2012. And I, w- I went to a conference, a fellowship Bible in, in Nashville, and the president of Lifeway was, was speaking. I don't remember who it was at the time. And man, I had it all. Like, I looked good. I did, man. I mean, I, was, I had the worship pastor thing. I had it down. I knew, I was like, cause that's mostly what it was about. I had white chucks. And I wore those only with my William Rast jeans because the belt, like the, the, the boot cup just fit over it just right. And then I had this G-Star vest that was fly. And I, I didn't have any tattoos. And I don't even know this, but being a worship pastor, looking right, is based on, based on the point system. So t- tattoos are worth a lot. And I didn't have any. So that just mean I had to go extra crazy with my hair. And so I had, I was so short on the sides and really long on the top. And then at one point I was like, I just don't think I'm in it really enough. And so I grew it out really long on the top, long enough for a ponytail. And then I just was like, man, I feel like I'm low on points. So I grew out my beard. I was like, that'll do. But guys on the inside, man, I was like, I was struggling, discontent with with my church. My church wasn't like, wasn't meeting the needs that I thought they should. Wasn't far along, far along enough in my career. Like my family, oh, it was so beautiful, but why am I so dead on the inside? And, and I go to this conference. The speaker opens up the book of Mark. I'm going to read to you the passage. And this, the passage of scripture where Jesus, uh, he's going about his business like he does with his disciples. And we find him at this place. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He was a human. I love that. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, other translations say that he cursed it. And he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. He really have had, had to have said it <laughs> for them to say. I wonder what it would sound like for Jesus to 
curse, you know. What in the name of me are you doing? And the funny thing is, guys, like Jesus, he's not mad at the tree for bearing, for having leaves. He's mad at the tree for having the appearance of having fruit. You know, and this just, you guys, this just punched me in the stomach when I heard this. Because what that is the definition of looking great on the outside, but actually being void of any of it, having the appearance of fruit, but none of the actual deliverables on the inside. That's the, that's the definition of hypocrisy. And guys, what does Jesus do? Tim talked about this, of staying plugged into the vine that we sang this morning. When we're not plugged into the vine and our branches no longer bear fruit and they are dead, what does Jesus do with them? He cuts them off and throws them into the fire because he is, he is the vine and our father is the gardener. That's what John 15 says. That was me. I was the dead branch with the bright haircut and the expensive clothes. And it just hit me like a, like a ton of bricks that this was me. Guys, how do we bear fruit? Is it by requiring circumcision and requiring something of our brothers and sisters? No. Psalm 1 verse 3 tells us exactly how we do it. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Like a tree that's planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season. Ezekiel talks about the same thing. He really quotes this the same way, but he was, says, he says that a, a fruit can bear... A tree can bear fruit in all seasons when it's plugged into the, to the tree of life so that the farther it gets away from where its roots go, then it's still connected. That's what happens when you come to church like this, when you feast on the word of God, when you learn to open its word and you feast on it, your roots are going deep. When you're feeding, when you're focused on what's happening on the inside. And I think what's hard when we have a a checklist-based Christianity is we want to know, what's the, you know what are the quantifiables? I want to look and see a track record of it. I want to show everyone that I'm doing the right thing, but what happens is just like, that's not how you bear fruit. And what is the fruit that we're supposed to bear? And here we go with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it's just funny what Paul says about that. And against these things, there is no law. There's no checklist with this. You know, it's easy to look at your life and say like, well, yeah, we did the right thing. We don't watch Disney movies. We don't let the guy down the street whose parents are divorced. We don't let him over to our house because that might get some of the icky on us. You don't, that's easy to put into a checklist, but how do you put into a checklist like a spring that's flowing with grace? And love. This is what the Lord 
asks of us. You know, as we make our way to communion, this is so a theme of Paul. And it turns out Galatians has a lot to say about unity. And Bonhoeffer really makes a connection between unity in the church and the fantasies that we have towards each other of wanting to be in a perfect community and an antidote to this attitude, which is thankfulness. In order to be thankful for something, we need to we got to be humble about it. we got to recognize that whatever is around us is a gift to us, a gift that we need to be thankful for. And he has, he has this quote that I'm going to read to you before we go to the prayer of confession. And would you, hold, would, you, would you just hold this in your heart as I read this over us? And would you just let the Holy Spirit convict you? What are the requirements you're putting on one another? Where are you acting with a whole lot of outer beauty, but it's empty on the inside? If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even when there is not great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches who are there for us all in Jesus Christ. I can only imagine if this advice were heeded by even a fraction of a local church, the effects could be revolutionary. How many times have I wished I were somewhere else where God was really moving? How many times have I longed to be in a more beautiful place with mountains or an ocean and a and abandon the urban neighborhoods where I live? How many times have I fantasized about the perfect fellowship where everyone got along like a perfect family? What this boils down to is spiritual pornography, creating a mental fantasy of a perfect place or people and not recognizing the good things all around me. The spiritual porn is my nemesis. It's poison. Thankfully, the attitude is available and accessible, equal parts gratitude and affirmation. Guys, this is like a Thanksgiving message, <laughs> you know. You know, just as we open our hearts to be thankful for something, you can't do that without being aware of what's in you that's kind of faced the wrong direction, you know? And as we do here, we, we say the prayer of confession together. And uh, there's, a, there's a part in the prayer of confession that says, forgive me for what, how I've wronged, wronged you, Lord, and the things that I've even done against my brothers and sisters. Would you stand together? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're going to speak this prayer of confession together and ask the Lord to search your heart as you confess with us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. We know in Scripture that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's, he's faithful and he's just, and he will forgive you from all unrighteousness. And so because we believe you, Jesus, I pronounce over you this morning that you are forgiven for the fighting, for the hypocrisy, for the desire to be in a perfect place where everybody gets along perfectly. You're even forgiven of that because you're also a contributor to the problem. And so this morning, as we make our way to the table, which is the, the unifier, that's what Ephesians says, that in God's flesh, both groups are made one. That you receive forgiveness with people who are not like you at the table, which is what makes it so special. And as we respond in worship, would you lift up a, a song of thankfulness? This is the words that we're going to sing in worship right now are saying, thank you, Jesus, that you set me free. Do you set me free from the law? That you set me free from expectations on others and it's just between me and you. Would you respond in worship and then Pastor Tim's gonna lead us to the table.
sing that one more time. Thank you, Jesus. You set me free. Christ, my Savior, you rescued me. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. If you have your communion elements, you can go ahead and grab them and open them up. This is such a good, convicting, timely message. You know, the greatest defense, the greatest apologetic for the Christian faith is, lies not in our theology, lies not in our liturgy, our practices. The greatest defense we have for the Christian faith is in our ability to love one another love one another and I think this is so important and this is why we have the table because far too often we fall into the temptation that we are to be shaped into the image of Christianity and the problem with that is we all have different pictures of what Christianity looks like but the invitation of the gospel is to be shaped into the image of Jesus and this is why we come to the table is to say it's not my talents, it's not my strength, it's not my perspective that I need more of or need to submit to, but it's the life of Jesus that I need to receive. And so on the night our Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. If you can, go ahead and break that wafer in your hand. And he looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Every time you come to the end of your rope, every time you realize that you don't have what it takes within you, realize that my body was broken for you. I've made up for where you lack. Brothers and sisters, can we take the bread this morning together? And likewise, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. It's because of this cup that Christ presents his bride without spot or blemish. So the invitation this morning is not for you to get your life together. It's for the finished work of Jesus Christ to make you clean, to make you whole, to make you new. It is the new covenant poured out in his blood. Every time we take this, brothers and sisters, let us remember the finished work of our Savior. You can take the cup. And if you can, can you just in your own words begin to thank him, begin to praise him, begin to glorify him as we sing the doxology.
guys are singing that better and better. You know, as a father, I pray that my children would love each other well and our family would be a place of unity. And you know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he prayed for us. And it's, it's such a special chapter in John to me because it's like we just get to be a, a fly on the wall of seeing and hearing Jesus just pray for us, pray for you. And I think you need to hear Jesus' prayer over you before you go. Jesus says to his Father in heaven, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. When you practice this love for one another, you, you reflect the relationship of the Trinity. And you carry that on you as you go from this place today. Remember that. If you need prayer this morning, if there's something you're carrying with you today, our altar ministry will be here at the front and they would love to carry your burden with you. If it's your first time with us, stop by Connect Central. We've got a gift for you. Go in peace. You are loved. And we will see you next Sunday.